Thank you so much guys and as Ben said, I'm Rosie and I want to maybe be the 10th person this morning to tell you how welcome you are at Grace Church this morning. Grace Church isn't a building, it isn't a website, it isn't this um, video online. Grace Church is a family and there's room for you here. You are so welcome. We're currently preaching through a book in the New Testament. Uh, it's a letter written by a guy called Paul. He writes it while he's chained up in prison for his faith in Jesus and he knows he's probably soon about to die. He's writing to a church in Philippi, which is why the letter's called Philippians. And today I'm gonna to be looking at chapter three. I'm gonna read from chapters one through to 11. If you have a Bible with you, I'd really encourage you to read along. Um, or if you don't have a Bible with you and you're on church online, there's a little ch uh, Bible tab that you can click on there. So from verse one. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things is no trouble for me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may obtain resurrection from the dead. So chapter three begins with a masterful takedown of self-reliance, which is, and almost always has been, a core issue in the human heart. In the 1800s, the philosopher Nietzsche said, no one can construct for you the bridge upon which you must cross the stream of life. No one but you yourself alone. A couple of thousand years before that, the ancient Greek philosopher Epicurus said, self-sufficiency is the greatest of all wealth. And a few thousand years before that, in the very first garden, the very first humans took a bite from the fruit of self-sufficiency that set the course for the human heart right up until this day, right up to people like Steve Jobs saying, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow know what you truly want to become. Human nature has always had a pull inwards 
a pull to relying on ourselves, a pull towards confidence in the shifting sand of our own hearts. We collect and rely on lists of achievements. We compare our successes and our failures to those around us to work out if we're making it in life. And now, more than ever, we live in the age of the self. Self-discovery, self-acceptance, self-expression. The online blurb of one of 2020's best-selling books describes the joy and peace we discover when we dare to listen to and trust in the deep voice inside us. We are constantly promised that we have everything we need already inside ourselves in order to flourish. Paul was acutely aware of this pull. He knew that the Philippians would be tempted to believe that as well as putting their trust in Jesus, they could also top up the gospel by putting faith and confidence in their own religious behaviour, their own achievements. Paul refers to this as putting confidence in the flesh. Flesh here really just means human nature or uh, our own human efforts. Putting confidence in the flesh is what he's warning about in verses two and three. And then in verse four, he says, look, if anyone has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. In other words, he says, if any one of us is gonna be able to get through life on their own merit, on their own credit, it would be me. And then he basically is like, look, I'll prove it. And he backs up this claim by listing the most impressive CV the Philippians will have ever heard. So this is verses five and six. He says, he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. What Paul is saying here is that this list is like, I have the most privileged birth, the most prestigious education, the most impressive religious record that you are ever going to find. It is an impressive list, but when Paul met Jesus, it wasn't an option to add Jesus to this impressive list and just put follower of Jesus at the bottom. Paul had to choose between a life of confidence in himself or a life of confidence in the gospel because the two are utterly incompatible. The gospel says you are incapable of being righteous enough on your own efforts. The gospel says that that voice deep inside ourselves that I mentioned earlier will only lead us to a path of striving and ultimately death. The gospel tells us that this cultural story that we have been told that everything we need is inside ourselves to be saved, that that's a lie. We're not good enough on our own and we were never made to be. So what's the good news? Well, the good news is a person, a person who said, come to me, all who are heavy burdened and I will give you rest. That means that we can finally have rest from the heavy burden of putting confidence in ourself, confidence in the flesh, and we can put confidence in something, or rather someone, rock solid. Paul looked at his list of pedigree, 
of education, his power. And he said, verse 7, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. It's like on his application form for righteousness, he had this whole list, but he's crossed out every single thing on it and instead has simply written Jesus. If you had to write a list of things that you'd be tempted to put your confidence in, what would you put on it? Family, education, career, or maybe your morality? Every week attending church, or maybe you're serving at church, or even a leadership role, or perhaps you would put on your deep care about injustice in society. If these are the things that you would put your confidence in, Paul would implore you, like him, to tear up the list and simply write Jesus instead. If you've already put your faith in Jesus, maybe a few of the things from that list have subtly crept back on. Tyndale is a commentator on this book and he explains that when Paul says, I counted all things as lost, that word counted isn't just in the past tense. He's not just talking about a past decision, but also his ever-present choice against a recurring temptation to rely on anything apart from Christ. This is a decision that we must resolve to make every day. We have to keep choosing to say, along with Paul, I count all things as loss for the sake of Christ. We have to keep doing this over and over because of that sinful tendency of our hearts to turn in on themselves, to say, well, I'll top up my salvation. I'll add to the gospel with some impressive good works. Or no, we must keep coming back to this simple equation. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Maybe some of you have recently had exam results back whether you were thrilled with them or actually they were a little bit disappointing. It's not Jesus plus good grades equals everything. It's Jesus plus nothing. Or um, maybe you are looking for a job at the moment. Maybe it's discouraging. Or maybe you have a job, but that's discouraging too. And there's lots of pressure to achieve. There's lots of pressure to impress. It's not Jesus plus success at work, it's Jesus plus nothing. I'm sure you're getting the idea, but just one more. This was one that was actually a huge lesson for me to learn. For a long time, I struggled to see how my suffering with my mental health, my weakness in that area, and my faith in Jesus could be compatible. But he broke in and showed me that it's not Jesus plus perfect health, equals everything. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Because Paul moves even further than just talking about this list of gains, this impressive list, and actually kind of adds all of life to this list. He includes everything that he could possibly think of. In verse 8 he says, indeed I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
these things, education, success at work, relationships, health, none of them are bad things in and of themselves, but good things become hindrances to us if they keep us blind to the fact that we can only live by the grace of God. That's why Paul goes as far as to count his entire list as rubbish in order to gain Christ. Because in the end, as much as we're told to live for ourselves and for our, own, for our own dreams, to listen to that voice within, <laughs> to live according to the flesh, to use again the language that Paul does here, it doesn't actually work. I uh, came across this article the other day, which was called Top 5 Regrets of People Who Are Dying. Obviously I thought, well that sounds interesting, I want to know what those are. So. Um, clicked on it and the most common regret, the one that was at the top of the list, said, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself. And then the paragraph underneath the description said, when people realise that their life is almost over and they look back clearly on it, it is easy to see how many dreams have gone unfulfilled. Most people had not honoured even half of their dreams and had to die knowing that it was due to the choices they had made or not made. And this article, particularly that paragraph, made me so sad because I thought of all of these people getting to the end of their lives, looking back and realising, wait, that living for myself thing actually wasn't very easy. All these regrets about all these unfulfilled dreams that I was not able to achieve due to my own choices, my own failure. What a heavy burden to bear and how lonely, how exhausting. And I don't actually believe the problem here was with their lack of courage. I don't believe that the reason that living a life true to yourself didn't work out for all of these people is because they simply didn't have enough courage to do it. I believe that it's because it can never truly bring life. Jesus describes this in uh, the book of Mark chapter 8 where he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. In the Gospels, Jesus tells a short story describing what it's like to give up everything for the Gospel. He describes a, a merchant um, searching for fine, beautiful pearls. And this merchant finds this one pearl that is beyond anything he's seen before. It's precious, it's really costly. And he goes and he sells all his possessions, everything that he has, just to get this one pearl. The things that the man sold, his possessions, weren't necessarily bad things. But when he found the pearl, he decided that nothing else mattered. That he would give up everything just to have it. That he would count everything he once relied on as rubbish now in order to gain the prize. And this is like the testimony that Paul, Paul is telling in this chapter. Paul was like that merchant who was willing to give up everything he had once relied on for the pearl of great price. 
counting everything as loss is a simple, joyful decision when we catch even a glimpse of the beauty of Jesus. Or, as Paul puts it, when we understand the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Being able to call him not only Lord, but my Lord. Just one look at Jesus is all it takes for self-sufficiency to crumble like a sandcastle on the beach when the tide comes in. How is Jesus beautiful? Well, every beautiful thing that you've ever seen is a small, pale reflection of the beauty of Jesus. And everything beautiful reflects him because he made it. Every blazing sunset, every mountain top that's taking your breath away, the light dancing on your bedroom wall in the morning, all those panoramic shots from helicopters in those David Attenborough documentaries, they all declare the glory of God. They all point to the source, to the wonder and the beauty of Jesus. Jesus is also beautiful because he did the most beautiful thing. Romans 5 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ's suffering and Christ's death for us are beautiful. They are of the highest worth because they are the highest point of love in all history. And towards the end of our passage today, when Paul talks about knowing Christ, part of what he has in mind is Jesus' suffering and death. Have a look at verse 10. It says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And I want to just spend our final few minutes chatting about what this particular mysterious verse might mean because I don't actually think it's what you might expect from a testimony about the wonder of knowing Jesus. But the truth is that the Bible often talks about sharing in Christ's suffering as a key way of knowing Jesus, of living a life following him and becoming like him. Suffering isn't a comfortable place to be but this suffering is a source of great joy because it means that we know him more fully. The commentator Silva says, the stinging reality of Christian suffering is our reminder that we have been united with Christ. More than that, it is the very means that God uses to transform us into the image of his son. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Paul's writing this letter from a prison cell. He's probably chained up and he probably knows that he's soon going to die for Jesus. Philippians is often called the most joyful uh, letter in the New Testament. And some of our preachers in this series so far have talked about the, um, Paul's uh, insistence that we rejoice. And yet, Paul here is speaking about suffering. But there is joy to be found in this kind of suffering that Paul's talking about. 
because it's not just suffering for Jesus, it's suffering with him. And there is joy to be found where he is. When we know Jesus, suffering is not a threat to our confidence. If we're putting confidence in the flesh, suffering is a threat because it's weakness. And weakness is really not a good thing when you only have your own power to rely on. If you are gathering things to yourself, relying on your career, your relationships, your successes, then when they're lost, your foundations crumble. But when we're putting confidence in Christ, that righteousness that's not our own righteousness, but rather that which comes from faith in Christ, suffering is no threat at all. It's actually the opposite. Suffering gives us the richest prize of all, fellowship with him. As we finish, I want to offer the same invitation that Paul does in this chapter to once again, or maybe even for the first time, count all things as loss for the sake of Christ. And this really is for all of us, because as we saw earlier, Paul's talking about a daily reality here, a life of coming afresh to Jesus, clutching those lists that we write to impress him or make ourselves feel secure. And once again, giving it all up to gain the pearl of great price. Perhaps close your eyes for just a second now and thank Jesus that you are found in him, that your righteousness isn't from you, that it comes through faith in Christ. And perhaps confess anything that has crept its way back onto that list. And tell Jesus again today that you count everything as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing him.